This is Julius Fuchik's Entrance of the Gladiators. He was a Czech composer and conductor. And for me, this music has always conjured images of big top circuses and clowns. And while this documentary is about circus, it's not about that type of circus. This is about Volcana Women's Circus, which, since 1995, has worked with women, as the name suggests, as well as deaf people, people with disabilities, LGBTIQ people, and culturally and linguistically diverse groups to build and strengthen community networks all across Brisbane. In 2012, Volcana lost all federal and state funding. These cuts predate the 2015-2016 federal art sector funding cuts, cuts that fell disproportionately on individual artists and small to medium-sized organisations like Volcana. As a creative writer, I've worked in organisations that received Australia Council funding, so I'm interested in how Volcana responded. To survive, it re-evaluated its entire income and funding model. And without downplaying the seriousness of the 2015-2016 art sector cuts and the difficulties Volcana has faced since 2012, I'm wondering if Volcana's example could help other arts organisations reduce dependence on government vagaries. Before getting to Volcana though, here's a bit of Australia's circus history, just so we know how contemporary circus came about and why Volcana is so important. What is known as traditional circus began in Australia in Launceston, Tasmania. Radford's Royal Circus opened on Boxing Day 1847. These circuses included rope walkers, acrobats, clowns, trick riders and animal trainers, and drew on traditions from England, the US and Europe. Some of the most well-known Australian circus names began during this period, such as Ashton's, Fitzgerald Brothers, Lennon Brothers, Silver's, St. Leon and Worth's. And even travelling shows such as Jimmy Sharman's Boxing Tents fit this tradition. From the 1850s to the 1950s, these traditional circuses formed a major part of Australia's entertainment industry and provided livelihoods for thousands of people. They travelled the continent, performing in the goldfields, shearing sheds, mining camps and for railway workers. Circuses also brought with them news from other areas, new music and innovations. In the first half of the 1900s, while new transport technologies allowed circuses to grow larger and travel further and faster, the proliferation of cinemas increased competition, the two world wars took performers away and rationing impacted negatively. Post-World War II, circuses re-established themselves, often as larger and less mobile concerns, and they continued strongly until about the 1960s, when another round of social and technological changes, including television, hit circuses hard. By the mid-60s, many of Australia's largest traditional circuses had folded. The 1970s and 80s saw places like Australia, Canada, France and the US simultaneously evolve a contemporary form of circus called Nouveau Cirque, which combines some traditional circus skills with the theatrical aesthetics of dance, lighting and costume design and music composition. And while Australian circus had always embraced cross-cultural influences, Nouveau Cirque integrated Chinese and Japanese traditions of physical performance, gymnastics and juggling in a way not seen in Australian circuses before. 
At this time, Australian government funding began flowing to the performing arts at unprecedented levels. And while Cirque du Soleil 1984 is possibly the most famous international performing arts circus of this type, both Circus Oz 1978 and the Flying Fruit Fly Circus 1979 predate Cirque du Soleil. Then there's Legs on the Wall 84, Brisbane-based Circa, initially named Rock and Roll Circus in 87, and Stalker. The 1990s then saw the development of a wide variety of performing arts organisations across Australia. They were a mix of professional companies and not-for-profits, with the not-for-profits holding at their core a conscious practice for community building and enacting community change through culture. For example, Melbourne Women's Circus was born in 1991, Strange Fruit in 94, Volcana in 95 and Flipside Circus in 98. To this day, Australia is at the vanguard of pioneering contemporary, non-traditional circus that blends circus, physical theatre, music and visual language. Added to this, Volcana draws on traditions of inclusiveness and empowerment and uses contemporary circus as a transformational tool. It values women as leaders and holds that empowered women ensure individual well-being and connectedness, which are essential in building and shaping strong communities. Volcana came out of a particular circus culture in the mid-90s. This is Celia White, Volcana Women's Circus Artistic Director. There was the beginnings of community circuses, youth circuses, community cultural development was a very strong force and the connection that was made between circus and community cultural development, which now is kind of called more social circus, but then it was really very strongly community circus was a huge influence on the history of Volcana and where Volcana came from. Antonella Casella, who was one of the founders of Volcana, recognised that when it comes to physical activity, men do it differently and women can be intimidated by that. Antonella certainly wasn't. She had been performing with Circus Oz. She perceived that there were not enough women that she wanted to make circus with in Brisbane. So she decided that it would be good to set up a safe space for women to come and explore their physicality and build their strength and learn skills. So it came from a variety of places, a need for professional development for circus performers who were women and the potential that had been clearly identified prior to that about the power of circus for women. From the very outset, Volcano identified itself as a feminist organisation. Its principles are founded on feminist principles, and that still remains the case. We had to be a little quieter about it for a while there because feminism was such a dirty word, but we held it dear. We're out and proud again. Basically, the idea that it's a collaborative organisation, that people come into the organisation and work together is still part of the way that we organise the running of the organisation. We still are very concerned with what is circus and what is contemporary circus and what is the performance of circus and how we train women in circus. We also have a focus of performance outcomes that investigate ideas but also investigate what we can do with circus. The other thing that has always been important to Volcana and continues to be is accessibility in all sorts of forms. Our payment structures have been flexible for that reason. We want to keep it available for women, trans, queer, anybody that isn't male who can feel like they can come into this space, that it's a welcoming and holding space for them. 
diversity being a potent force that we want to celebrate and encourage. Over the last 20, how many are we up to? 21 years, there's been ongoing connections with a variety of circuses. There's obviously been the influence of the Women's Circus in Melbourne, which was set up prior to Volcana, but for a very different reason, but is part of a unique history in Australia of women's circuses, of which there've been a few. Also, another major influence for circus is the history of the circus festivals. That has been an extraordinarily important exchange place between circus performers across the nation. I think that's a really important part of the landscape of contemporary circus and how we all stay connected. There's a current conversation in the sector about how we advocate for circus. There's a struggle around the recognition of the art form and what actually is circus and where does it fit in the performance landscape, where does it fit in the broader arts landscape. It gets quite muddy. All of the different art forms will put their hand up and fight for their right to be recognised. In 2012, Volcana was hit by two funding losses. It lost its core Australia Council funding under the federal Gillard government and then lost its core Arts Queensland funding under the Queensland State Newman government. It's been a rollercoaster ride of whether we're in or out of favour with various funding bodies. We've had some kind of consistency in terms of project funding, whether it's been local, state or federal. Over the course of the 21 years, it's always ideally relied on a really broad range of funding opportunities to manage to deliver a very strong and very dense program of activities. We've always had a very strong workshop program which has earned a considerable percentage of our annual income. The core workshop program is called Volcademy and we run it in-house. We run workshops with community organisations. Originally those organisations were women's organisations, sexual health, DV, young women, Wherever we identified a need and a partner that was interested in working with us, we would seek funding. And often it was up to Volcana to seek the funding because those organisations had no idea how to raise arts funds. So there was an extremely heavy load on the organisation of fundraising for every project that we wanted to do because we've always worked with under-resourced sectors and organisations. We still do that work. We still partner with community organisations We do a lot of work with schools. We run whole workshop programs for schools. We have expanded our in-house workshops to incorporate kids and teens. With the first loss of funding from Australia Council, that was bitterly disappointing but nothing that the organisation hadn't experienced before. So that's just a a big wake-up call and a big shock to the organisation. You just have to rattle yourself a lot and go, "What? what, Okay, here we are again, what are we going to do with this? But we could see a culture shift happening and we wondered what our situation was then going to be with Arts Queensland because those funding streams are connected. There was perhaps a shadow of a future event coming at us. Politically, things had shifted. It's a a shocking thing to an organisation to lose organisational funding like that. It's huge, but it's not the end, especially for an organisation that's done it so many times before. We still had the possibility of operational money coming in. 
So the crisis actually happened when we lost Arts Queensland. That was the blow that really shook us to the core. Even that had happened before, but the organisation was 10 years further on and had a much bigger program and there's more people employed. It's the shock of having to let people go. And with me and the, at the time, general manager, Kitty Kara in the room, looking at each other going, are we the ones who are going to close the door? That's the point it gets to. It was only a moment of that before the rallying cry went out. So that turned us around almost on a pinhead, if that's a phrase that you use. No. Anyway, that sense of teetering on the top of something that you might just fall off and at the very, just a second later, there's this swell of a response to that that goes, no, this is not going to happen to Volcana, we're not going to let it go and so started the next part of the story. You're listening to No Trickery, No Retakes, No Stand-Ins, a radio documentary about Volcana Women's Circus. Next, we'll take a look at the broader political issues across Australia between 2012 and 2016, leading into the arts funding crisis brought on by the federal government's raid on the Australia Council and the Black Friday arts cuts. (laughs) 